This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. We've been told many times that Trump won the 2016 election because his populist appeal won the white working class. They fell for his claim that he would fight for them against the heartless elites who had destroyed their jobs. Populism is the problem in this view. Populism gave us Donald Trump, the irrationality, the bigotry, and the authoritarianism of the white working class. Tom Frank says that's all wrong. He wrote the classic book, What's the Matter with Kansas, and several other bestsellers, including The Wrecking Crew and Listen Liberal. We've talked about all of them here. Now he's got a new book out. It's a terrific one. It's called The People Know. A Brief History of Anti-Populism. We reached him today at his childhood home in Kansas. Tom Frank, welcome back. Mr. John Wiener, it's great to be here. Well, your writing is so great. I want to start by asking you to read a brief section about what you call the democracy scare that followed Trump's election. Okay, and that's, yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was a moment of hysteria among a certain kind a certain slice of the elites that it was fear that democracy was out of control and the word that they used to describe that sense of democracy out of control is of course populism that's their word for it okay so here this is from the people know sober citizens were worrying about populism at the aspen ideas festival Scholarly types were moaning about it at the annual Prague Populism Conference. High net worth individuals reviled it at the World Economic Forum in Switzerland. The cool kids deplored it on the plains of Texas at South by Southwest. In the Netherlands, the Friedrich Naumann Foundation sponsored yet another convening on the subject. The proceedings were described like this. Populism has become a widespread phenomenon throughout the world. The danger of their backward-looking nostalgia for an idealized past, half-truths, and fake news stories pose a threat for free and open societies. At Brigham Young University, a squad of experts on this dangerous phenomenon were ready to go even before 2016. At Stanford, the Global Populisms Project which is co-chaired by a prominent former member of the Obama administration, declared as follows on its website. Populist parties are a threat to liberal democracy. But of course, it is true that white working class voters in the industrial Midwest, people who had once been Democrats, voted for Trump in large numbers. The pollsters call them whites without a college degree. Yes. And they preferred Trump over Clinton by almost two to one in yes. 2016. So and, and I remember is, a guy who wrote a book about this years, even years before Trump. <laughs> it was called "What's the Matter with Kansas?" And, and why? And why? The, yeah, and why? I mean, I've been writing about this my whole adult life. So the big question is: If white workers did not support Trump because they are irrational and ignorant and authoritarian, why did they do it? Well, look. Trump's bigotry played a part. I don't, uh, you know, in what I'm about to say, I don't mean to deny that. I mean, the guy is, the guy's bigotry is in your face. It's loathsome. It seems to get worse as the years go by instead of better. But he also, in 2016, 
picked up on all kinds of uh, working class issues that the Democrats had uh, had ignored and had, you know, the Democrats treated uh, working class voters of whatever racial background treated them as a captured constituency for many years. And, you know, if you paid attention to if you, you know, talk to people in labor unions or, you know, listen to AFL-CIO stuff, they were furious about it. They still are. Uh, they get treated like uh, like they don't matter by the Democratic Party. They're taken for granted. And Trump, you know, whether it's just accidental or he planned it this way, was able to reach out with, you know, when he talked about trade, when he talked about the endless wars, uh, you go on down the list, when he, he would attack Wall Street all the time and uh, link his opponent, Hillary Clinton, to Wall Street, he was... He was saying things that resonated for these people, and uh, this is the important point. It, these were not necessarily irrational. Now, as we all know, Trump was Trump was full of shit. If you study these issues, you can see that the guy doesn't really know what he's talking about. And of course, as president, he did <laughs> he delivered disaster, you know, for these people. It, it has not been great for these people. But if you're just judging by what he was saying on the campaign trail, yeah, there's a certain rationality for it. Well, when I was in college, we were taught that the populist party of the 1890s was the source of this original irrational and reactionary kind of politics that was fearful of social change. The populace of the 1890s had an affliction called status anxiety, <laughs> we were taught. Yes, yes. Uh, and this was the work of one of the gra- America's greatest historians, Richard Hofstetter. Uh, liberal. He later admitted late in his life that he had distorted the evidence radically uh, and that he had been preoccupied with a frightening political phenomenon in his own world, McCarthyism. But tell us how the great Richard Hofstetter got it so wrong. Ooh, very famous book published in 1955 called The Age of Reform, where he uh, talked about the Populist Party, which had uh, historians had always treated as a predecessor of welfare state liberalism, or a harbinger, I should say, a forerunner of welfare state liberalism, because that's where the evidence obviously points you. If you look at what the populace wanted to do and what they stood for and what they demanded and what they, you know, that's what it was. But Hofstadter was looking for, you know, in the 1950s, as you mentioned, there's a huge fear among intellectuals of McCarthyism. It's also after World War II. And uh, intellectuals in America and elsewhere in the world were obsessed with the problem of fascism. Where had it come from? How had uh, Hitler, you know, conned the German people into supporting him? And uh, uh, Hofstadter just seems to have decided to trace these things to populism and to have made of the word populism. By the way, a word that was coined by this political party in Kansas in the 1890s, so about 20 miles from where I'm sitting, was where the word was, was, was consciously invented by a bunch of people. Hofstadter decided to take that word and to redefine it as sort of the symptom of working class, of mass working class movements. Now, other American historians dogpiled on him in the most incredible way and really destroyed the uh, his interpretation of the populist party. And they did this very quickly, I'd say within within five or ten years after his his uh, magnum opus was published. Why did he do it? And this is this is a really interesting question because what you discover when you go back and read uh, the age of reform, his attack on populism, is that it's it's a work of history, but it's also 
and John, you know this, all history is to some degree presentist. It's about the present. His book about the, about the populists was also a manifesto for his generation of intellectuals who were then sort of coming up and coming into power in an unprecedented, unprecedented way for intellectuals. They were taking over the, not only the universities, but the great corporations. You know, guys with MBAs were suddenly running them instead of people who had uh, inherited them or built them up or, you know, whatever. And uh, intellectuals were running the departments in Washington. Intellectuals were running the Pentagon. Famously, Robert McNamara, the whole the managerial style was in the ascendance. And Hofstadter, along with a bunch of other what they used to call consensus intellectuals, and I know you remember these guys, <laughs> Daniel Bell, you know, Seymour Lipset. There's a whole bunch of them. They were uh, basically writing manifestos for their generation and why they deserved to rule, why it was right and just and correct for this to be happening in the 1950s. And they all of them settled on, well, following Hofstadter, they settled on this word to describe what they were displacing, the model for democracy that, that their vision of managerial technocracy was replacing. They called it populism. Populism was the opposite of them. Populism was mass movements in the street. Populism was, you know, millions of working class people uh, demanding something or another, whether it's through the People's Party in the 1890s or the labor movement in the 1930s. And that form of politics basically was obsolete, Hofstadter was saying, and Daniel Bell was saying, and they were all saying. Well, now it's time for your Minnesota moment. That's news from my hometown of St. Paul that you won't get from Sean Hannity. You say that the Farmer Labor Party in Minnesota in the 30s was the apostolic successor to the old People's Party of the 1890s, and you say we should all learn about Floyd B. Olson, governor of Minnesota. (laughs) Yes, I do. In 1930. Tell us about Floyd B. Olson. Uh, Floyd Olson was this amazing personality, uh, you know, magnetic uh, personality, amazing radio speaker, and was a, a elected governor of Minneapolis, of Minnesota, sorry, governor of Minnesota in the 30s, uh, and was uh, said openly, "I'm not, you know, I'm not a liberal. I'm a radical," and proposed uh, extremely radical measures for the time, a moratorium on on uh, foreclosures. Uh, you know, all a sort of local version of, of social security, all these sorts of things. And, uh, yes, came out, he was, had been a member of the IWW at one time. And I like to go back to people like Floyd Olson, who are so obviously in the populist tradition, because they contradict the way we use the word, uh, nowadays, just really bluntly. And so the, the book is made up with, of anecdotes like the story of Floyd Olson, John. It's, a, a whole bunch of different characters and figures like that, including Franklin Roosevelt, including Martin Luther King, including Bayard Rustin, including all sorts of heroes uh, of of the left and of liberalism who are clearly part of the populist tradition, but who don't fit when our modern day pundits you know, use it as a word to denote um, racist authoritarianism. You know, that's clearly not what Floyd Olson was. I want to get back to the Trump phenomenon. You have suggested that that uh, it was not irrational or crazy for white working class people in the industrial Midwest to to believe that Hillary Clinton had ties to Wall Street. In no, fact, well, that was obviously true. <laughs> that was clearly correct. Look, you and I have been around politics for a long time, and we know that that 
that's not really an accurate way of understanding Hillary Clinton's politics. But it was pretty damning if you don't if you if you don't know a whole lot about it and you haven't followed it all your life. That's pretty bad. And also, everybody, remember, was furious about the Wall Street bailouts. Absolutely furious. And Trump was he was fairly good at capturing that anger, speaking to that anger. Let's talk about 2020 now. Joe Biden is from Scranton, a white working class place. He didn't come out of Yale Law School or the University of Chicago like Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. Is Joe Biden going to turn the Democrats away from the anti-populism they have been engaged in since the Clinton New Democrat era? Is Joe Biden going to embrace his roots in Scranton? Is Joe Biden going to expose Trump as, as a phony populist and he claim the ground of him being the real, the real oh spokesman God. of the I, white workers? Okay, that last part, no, I don't, I don't think he'll go that far. But it's, you, you, you put your finger on something there that your audience is going to be really interested in, and that is that the Democrats have become an anti-populist party, and they have become Richard Hofstadter's ideal of managerial government. That's really who they are. Even though the Democratic Party itself came from, you know, Roosevelt, etc., William Jennings Bryan came from this very populist place. That's how they became who they are. And, but they have, they've turned their backs on that. And unfortunately, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and Bill Clinton before that really embodied that shift. Although, remember, Bill Clinton had a certain sort of folksy way that was very, you know, winning. Uh, but once he got into power, of course, it's all just, you know, more power to the technocrats. Get some guys in here from Yale Law School. They'll fix it. And Biden, you know, at least does not have that sort of cultural baggage. There, I mean, there's one thing you can say for sure about Biden, and that is he will never call Trump supporters deplorables. He will never write off a big part of the American population in that way. And you remember that really was that really hurt Hillary when she said that. By the way, she backed off of it, but the, the American right away because she realized what a mistake that was. But the American, you know, pundit corps said, "No, that's exactly what they are. We live in a country of where we just we basically can't uh, stand democracy anymore because democracy means rule by these people who have no business telling us what to do. Uh, Biden will never make that mistake." And you have some striking um, quotes from an interview of Joe Biden did uh, with the New York Times, where he recalls being told by a Hillary Clinton operative during the 2016 campaign that he should make a distinction between progressive values and working class values. The thing about Biden is 90 percent of his public statements are just, you know, the usual politician crap you know they're just they're nothing but if you pay really close attention to him every now and then he will slip into something that's kind of profound where he really does like these people the you know the the white working class people and he says in this interview with the new york times and it's a really long interview and i had to read the whole thing it's a, he says it's at the very end they must have been going for two hours or something and it's with the new york times editorial board uh, and he basically antagonizes the editorial board. He says, you know, it's a, you think it's all about smart people like you, but I'm here to tell you that these white working class people who Democrats think are so, uh, you know, uh, dangerous and unreliable are actually in many ways much more progressive than you, meaning the New York Times editorial board, on economic issues. And I thought that was kind of awesome of Biden to say that. 
you know, there are people who I admire who think Biden is a really great guy. I, I'm, I, I'm not now starting to sound like a Biden partisan. And I, just so you know, I'm not. I voted for Bernie in the primary. I am not a Biden supporter by any stretch. I thought he was the worst candidate up there on the stage. But Bernie really likes him. And you have to, you know, you have to wonder why. What's the reason for that? Okay, so Joe Biden understands the problem of the Democrats abandoning the, their working class base. But isn't, isn't he, all this talk about the working class just an act? Isn't he really just another Clintonian tool of the Wall Street Silicon Valley Democrats? That would be his entire career trajectory that you've just described. What he actually did in, in terms of legislation is, is dreadful. I mean, Wall Street has no better friend than Joe Biden. Uh, the, the, the notorious bankruptcy bill that passed when George Bush was president, that was largely his work. You know, the, the various trade agreements, he voted for them. You know, the really bad ones. He defended them when he was Obama's VP. And the, the one that really gets me is mass incarceration. This is a crime that the Democrats really have have to answer for and really have not yet atoned for or explained or made their peace with. Uh, and uh, passing these laws when uh, Reagan and Clinton were president that basically put a whole generation of black kids in prison. And Biden is probably the Democrat most, after Bill Clinton, most responsible for those laws. What's funny is, uh, far as I can tell, the, the, you know, the woke media has yet to make him answer for anything. But do you think that all this is is changing now? Do you think the current economic collapse is, is going to bring about the end of the Wall Street anti-populist theme of uh, democratic politics? Is Joe Biden going to herald in a new era of, of liberal politics? Mm. Some people think so, but I don't. Um, I, I, I would like to think so. I wish I thought that. I wish I, was, I believed that, but I don't. And one of the reasons I don't is because the uh, anti-populism, as I describe it, has, is, is everywhere you look in the, American, in the American media now, and center-left types uh, have really turned against uh, the idea of mass social movements, you know, the idea of working class movements to bring about economic, you know, economic reform. That idea has become in a very short amount of time. I mean, it was just last year when every candidate on the stage was trying to sound like Bernie Sanders. And now here we are. That stuff is is so far gone. And so I don't see any uh, any any pressure on Biden to move back towards it. Now, that said, I think Trump is done for. I don't see how you get how you bungle a pandemic like he has done and get reelected. I don't see how you get 15 percent unemployment and get reelected. This is a disaster. And uh, I, you know, there's unless he unless he comes up with some new way to, uh, you know, uh, disenfranchise huge numbers of people. I don't see I don't see how he gets reelected. One last thing, your title, the people know that comes from uh, a specific place, the people, yes. Who was it who wrote the people, yes? Uh, Carl Sandburg, uh, one of the great sons of Illinois, and uh, a truly great uh, writer in the early part of the 20th century who wrote a book-length poem in the 30s called The People, Yes. It was one of the sort of, it, the 1930s were a period of just overwhelming cultural populism, faith in the, com- what they used to say, the common man, you know. 
And uh, you see that in the movies, you see it in the politics, and you see it in the literature. And Carl Sandburg is sort of one of the, I, I, I love that guy. Tom Frank, his terrific new book is The People Know, A Brief History of Anti-Populism. Tom, congrats on this book. It's always great to have you on the show. John, it's my pleasure to be here. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Thank you.